Hi, this is Nick Ferraro, the Philly Elvis. And when I'm not swiveling my hips out there, I'm hanging out listening to Setless Bruce. And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and we have a team episode today. We uh, we have Josh, who has been with us before, and had a we and he and I had a great discussion. And I was lucky enough to meet Josh and his lovely bride when I was at Jersey for the August 25th show. But he has one of his um, best friends, do we say that? Though listening sure. to the banter, you two, uh, you guys tend to be the way uh, we treat our friends here. You know, if we're, in, if we're not insulting, it doesn't mean we love you. Um, uh, Chris is joining us. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, Jesse. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, I am too. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to get to y'all's friendship, and I understand Chris has some interesting stories about some stuff he's doing with the younger generation. But, Chris, I want to give you at least the chance to give you a, a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about yourself, and what kind of music did you listen to growing up? Well, I grew up in, in Teaneck, New Jersey, north northeast of New Jersey, right outside of New York City, same town as Josh. That's how we know each other from growing up. Um, uh, just a regular middle class suburban white guy, Jersey background. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of, I always tell people like, where did you grow up? How did you, I'm like, did you ever see the show, the wonder years? It was just kind of like that. It's like middle class white people, suburbia. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, growing up, except I, you weren't a jet fan. Yeah. Yeah. Except I didn't have super Cooper to date. Um, <laughs> Um, now, musically, yeah, like anyone, sort of influenced. I had two older brothers, and, and they both liked a lot of different music, and uh, kind of listened to the general, you know, '80s pop stuff that everyone listened to. And um, uh, my first two record albums that I owned that that were mine were Michael Jackson's Thriller, obviously one of the great records of all time, and the Beastie Boys' License to Ill. Mm. They're the first two records I owned. And I still have you them. You had them on record or on uh, record, cassette? actual records. Actual wow. Records. My dad bought me the Thriller record for like my seventh or eighth birthday, something like that. Josh, how about you? What What were your first? Uh, I had them on cassette. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely had License to Ill. I, I remember my, my like earliest music memories was my mom used to listen to a lot of Billy Joel my parents listened to a lot of Motown. Okay. So I can remember like CBS FM 101, yeah. you know, yeah, even back then was... was the oldies. Yeah. yeah. And then that was, you know, it was a lot of Motown in our house. And um, my, my earliest Bruce memory is, is born in the USA because we were like seven or eight when that came out and, and seeing Bruce in the, we are the world um, 
videos over and over again. So that I, was like my first. Yeah. Case. I I was if there was not a lot of disappointment for me in the biography. I I really enjoyed his book and thought he shared a lot of great stories and a lot of insight. But I would have liked to hear him talk about that night, you know, and share some stories or something about that because, you know, from the um, We Are the World, yeah. Uh, video shoot and all that yeah, yeah. sure it was a, sure it was an interesting night yeah you're right yeah i i just would have liked to see and but you know he didn't talk a lot about i mean the closest he guess is he talked about frank sinatra tending to really enjoy patty's voice and how <laughs> they spent some time together um and i don't know if you guys saw but there was a a picture with um uh Don Rickles, Bruce Springsteen, and Bob Dylan, and my friend, who's the Giants fan, said, "You know he's going. Who the hell are these guys? <laughs> you know, and not joking." Uh, um, what? Um, when did you? And you know, Chris, it's an interesting discussion because I've had a lot of people on the show, and you're either a older sibling and you influence your younger siblings or you're a younger sibling and you you know your uh, older siblings influenced you either positively or negatively like sometimes you I, i've had people go totally opposite of what their older brother or sister mm -hmm. liked so that's an interesting story you said w when did you find well, bruce well my my i have two older brothers and, and josh knows this, they're very very different human beings like they're not even from the same planet <laughs> um, they both had a love for Billy Joel, though, which was really interesting. Uh, so I listened to, like, Josh, sort of a lot of Billy Joel. I mean, right at that time in the early 80s, that's when he was, you know, putting out albums yearly, pretty much. Um, yeah. And, you know, really hit his stride. Um, my oldest brother was a little more into uh, Paul Simon and, uh, and Bruce Springsteen. And my my oldest brother Kyle and my other older brother Keith was more into some more rock and roll stuff, Van Halen and kind of the harder uh, rock stuff of the '80s. Um, so my oldest brother Kyle got the live 1975 to 1985 again record albums. Um, so if anyone under the age of 35 is listening to this, those are big round black <laughs> things that you play on the yes. player. Uh, and um, when he wasn't around, I would listen to uh, the whole thing, eighty-five or seventy-five to eighty-five, the live, um, the live albums, and you know, there's that great uh, live, the river, uh, where he gives that whole speech, you know, that famous version of the river, where he talks about the um, his draft story and all that. Yeah, and even songs like um, Seeds was on there. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what a born in, there was a born in the USA uh, track on there I believe right yeah, war yeah, they do the cover yeah, of war yeah. yeah the cover of war which is a song my dad had you know I'd heard with my dad from 60s music yeah so it was it was listening to that live album and obviously I mean we're all Bruce fans here he's so good live that even once you started listening to the studio stuff it you know the live stuff was so electric even on a record you know the performances and and you know it just came through it just jumped through the the speakers at you absolutely um and i you know we've talked a lot about this that you know at times born in the usa 
um, it's easy for, um, oh, I, I won't use the word, um, uh, I'll use elitist fans, not snobby fans, but, you know, for diehard fans, kind of like, oh, that's the hit album. But, you know, it was a gateway album for tons of fans that that's how they found Bruce and found that music. And and I do think that, you know, there's there's a lot of great music on that album. And Oh, there's, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, it's sort of like an elitist view to not like it. But, I mean... Uh, the song "Born in the USA" is so. I mean, when you read the lyrics and think about it, it's it's yeah, it's stunning. I, I happen to like uh, "I'm Going Down," "No Surrender." Um, you know, it, it's really funny. I'm a teacher now, and even that line in "No Surrender," we learn more from a three minute record than we ever learned in school. Yeah. You no, know, that's still even as a teacher, I still love that line. That's yeah. a great line. Well, and I think it reminds you that. Um, you know, life experience is another way to get an education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to think, especially when I was early in my career and I was watching, you know, I was reading applications and going to interviews. And I said, you know, they should take junior and senior year and they should spend time. Here is an application. I'm going to teach you how to fill out an application correctly. I am now we are going to interview and I am going to show you how to present yourself Mm -hmm. well, because and and I would give people I'd grade on a curve, but it would be at times. And I have done this a couple of times. I've stopped the interview and I go, okay, nothing. You're fine. You're okay. I just want to tell you that when I'm asking for a question about tell me a time. I'm not looking for something general. I'm looking for you to tell me a specific time. I want you to tell me a story because what I'm trying to do is figure out, you know, your past and what you've done. And it's okay if it takes you a few minutes to think of a specific story. Um, and and I, that goes back to your, we learn from, more from a three-minute record. I mean, I think life can teach the kids a lot. And I also think that you know, this a more elaborate and more complex education should be covered, and, and we should give them, uh, you know, ways to handle things about life and such. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and as a history teacher, I get this a lot with, oh, why do we need to know this or that? And I always tell them, you know, the specifics aren't necessarily that important. We're teaching life skills like responsibility and, you know, task completion and working together in groups and all that kind of stuff. But there is also some of what um, what I call like a cultural awareness that you yes. need to have, I think. And, uh, for instance, whenever I've gone on an interview, when I sit down in that person's office, I look at everything in the office. And if I can make a relation or a connection, I can think of a time where it happened with Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Josh, when I first interviewed at Creskill to be the basketball coach there. Right. The, the athletic director is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and she had a couple photos from like newspaper cutouts of Springsteen concerts and stuff. So I instantly started talking about that with her. Right. Um, and that, that just happened because I was a Springsteen fan. But even if I wasn't a Springsteen fan, if she would have had, you know, Billy Joel up there, or Rod Stewart or whoever. Right. You know, I think there's an awareness to be able to mention that. Oh, you're a Rod Stewart fan. Yeah, Maggie May. Or, you know, just to BS a little bit. 
but to have that cultural awareness of who people are, who things are, stuff like that. Yeah, and, you know, it's a joke, but it's also, you know, how are you going to understand the crown and Victoria and Game of Thrones without spending some time in history? You know, and, and you know, this, this context and... Um, you know, one of the things when my son went to school, um, they talked about we want a well-round individual. Mm -hmm. um, we are not just teaching you a trade. We want you to be able to. And Chris talks all the time that the best thing he got out of college was the ability to, um, you know, finish projects and to understand and you know, and that was, it took time. It took time for him because, you know, when he was a freshman or sophomore, you know, I'm like, how are you doing? Okay, I guess. And by the time he was a junior or senior, he could tell you exactly what he was doing. Here's my grade point average. Here's what, how many grades I've got coming up. This is what I know I need to do to get the mm. class, you know. And, and you see that in his day job now where he can still kind of use that discipline and such. Though he does agree that all people, if they have any soul, on um, already have Friday on their mind when the foreman crawls <laughs> time on Monday morning. <laughs> he says, Absolutely. I don't care if you're a CEO or a, you know, the guy, busboy, come, you know, if you are a Monday through Friday job, Monday mornings, you're already got Friday on your mind. That's absolutely uh, true. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so talk about y'all's friendship. How did you guys meet? I don't even know when the first actual meeting was. We, again, we grew up in this, you know, suburban town where we all went to school. You know, I mean, Josh, when did when did you guys move? I mean, I started kindergarten in in Teaneck. Did you? Uh, kindergarten wasn't full day then, so I went to kindergarten like a Montessori kindergarten my first time in the school system was first grade my mom had grown up in the same town also, oh that's right so. that's right uh, I forgot that I knew that <laughs> but so you know we grew up in a very unique town you know we grew up in the first town in the country to voluntarily integrate its school system you know they would bus people from different parts of town together so the schools would be balanced and you know it was funny the other day my, my eight-year-old um, was reading a book about Rosa Parks and, and we were, you know, my wife and I were telling her, yeah, we're like, we, we, we met Rosa Parks. She came to our first grade class, you know, and yeah, that was just yeah, kind right. of the school, the kind of the system we had. I think, I think, did I think Chris and I were in school together from third grade on, but I don't know that we were in the same class together until probably sixth grade. Well, no, you know what, you know, the first time we probably met was what year did we play on the Mighty Molars together? Uh, I was like fourth grade. Yeah, so we played on the same little, you know, town basketball yes. league. Yeah, it was it was sponsored by a friend of ours' father who was a dentist, and we were called the Mighty Molars. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Right, you know, it was Brian Levy's dad who sponsored it, right? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, Josh, Chris, one of the things that I am jealous about is my dad was in the army. So I moved around a lot. I, I, I counted it once. I went to 12 different schools during kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, wow. and, and, you know, we, like a couple of years because him being stationed and my, mo my mom had a really was a homing pigeon. And like any time she got a chance to go back to Louisiana and 
and to be in the same town as her parents, she did. So, like, I can remember one year I went to three different schools, you know, in one school year. Mm -hmm. So there was no concept when I started high school. There would be people talking about, oh, remember in the fifth grade when I had a crush on you? And, yeah. and I, you know, I, I had no concept of anyone. So I, I think that's, I'm sure, a blessing and a curse at times, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, talk about that though, about switching schools and stuff. And Josh saying we've been in school for since about second or third grade. We were looking at some photo albums of my family this weekend, and there was a picture of Halloween, uh, my first grade like Halloween pageant. You know what they do at the school where everyone right. And there was a group of people in my class standing together. And Josh, you'll laugh at this. I'll name the people that were standing in the picture. It was myself. It was Evan Fit, Amy Skolnick. Amanda Ross and Eric Perlman. So all the people in this picture, uh, Jesse, we all were. This was at a first grade picture. We all graduated high school together. Wow! Yeah. And it's just a. It was just a random picture of kids standing together. It's like how we were lined up in the parade or whatever. You know, and 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 then taking it back to Bruce, a lot. I think a lot of what Bruce's stuff is about is about finding that home. You know, whether you and, and being someone who's lost looking for a home, I think that resonates throughout all a lot of his work. Uh, I also I, I agree with that, I think. And and also finding, you know, quote, good companions on this part of the ride, you know, mm. um, you know, there is there is a sense of friendship in a lot of his songs and and there that bonding um, and I thought one of the most fascinating parts of the biography was talking about, and I specifically went in wanting two things. I wanted him to address breaking up the E Street Band, and then, mm. you know, and we had heard nothing about his first marriage, and because Tunnel of Love is one of my favorite albums, I was really curious what he was going to share about that time period. Mm. And and I thought he was vocal about both, that it's it's very clear that as much as he loves each member of the E Street Band, he also never forgets the boss-employee part of the relationship. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting in the book, um, his relationship with Danny sort of was rocky throughout for a long time. You yes. know, and, and he talked about, and you don't think about that. You you know, you think of you know the Phantom and that whole you know aura around Danny. And I'm, again, like you said in the book, I love Danny, and I've always loved Danny. But you know, we had our we had our problems. We you know we had our run-ins. But Josh talked about that you know that friendship early on, or that searching for the friendship, and you said it, Jesse, too. And I, what I got in his biography, rather than the one that um, uh, the guy did a couple years ago was a guy, Peter Ames Carlin. Peter Carlin yeah. yeah, Peter Carlin. Um, was Bruce talking about th those teenage years and those friends that he had? I mean, again, you'd always heard the story about the one the drummer in his first band who went to Vietnam. But those the, the brothers that he was that yeah. he played in those bands with, the one the one brother I can't think of their names at all. Um, I know exactly like, what you're talking about. The one brother he, died. Yeah, the one brother died and you know Thies, sort of those, George Thies, right? Thies, yeah, yeah. The Thies, yeah. Um, to hear him talk about those friendships and, right. you know, and those, those people and how important they were in his early life, you know, from his, you know, 
14 to 24 year old before he became, you know, who he, you know, the, you know, Bruce Springsteen time Newsweek, all that. Yeah, um, but to talk about those relationships and friendships, I thought was really, you know, I mean, I think that relates to anybody again, maybe not, not you as much, like you said, cause you moved yeah. around, but to people that grew up in that home, you know, we grew up in the same town he did just, uh, an hour North. Well, yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think a blessing we have is that, you know, he somehow found a way to be grounded and resisted the the you know, the trap that Elvis fell into where he got surrounded by people who were yes men and and no one would do would give the tough love to Elvis to perhaps, you know, in mm. in in a different life could have happened. You know, I don't know if Bruce, I'm sure Bruce learned from Elvis's death, but I also think he's found a way to stay centered and to keep these friends. I, I thought his discussion of Clarence where, you know, Clarence was his brother, but he couldn't live in that life because Clarence's, way he lived would just burn Bruce out. He could only go visit that for a little bit of a time. <laughs> well, I think we all have friends like that. Yes. Uh, in a way. Yeah, well, I know? think Bruce had this this anxiety about him that the only and the only way he ever really felt comfortable was was doing the work. And I think his upbringing being as dysfunctional as it was, I think he was able to find peace in the work and and the actual practicing and working and, and dedicating himself to um, the music, I think is the only time it seems like the only time he ever really felt comfortable. And, and you could just see this maniacal approach. And I think that's one of the reasons he didn't get along as well with Danny. Cause it sounded like Danny was more of a, you know, Danny had a lot of talent. Danny showed up and played. And then when Danny was done playing, Danny was done playing. And like, yeah. Bruce sounds like he can never turn off, turn the switch off. Yeah, I, I also thought it was fascinating. I've often asked, you know, in my mind, you know, like if you go to a Willie Nelson concert or even a Billy Joe concert, you know, Billy Joe may have one of the roadies come out and sing Highway to Hell, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and Willie Nelson will have, I'm going to let my sister Bobby sing lead on one. And I thought, you know, Bruce has such an, a great band you would think and i'm gonna have steven take the lead on this one you know or you know i love gary's solo album and like okay let's have gary do one nope it's bruce springsteen and the e street band yeah. and it that's yeah. what it's gonna be um and they're all seem okay with that um i love the story about the band member and they left uh who it was you know he did not say but talking about a raise and bruce said you know look up who's the highest paid person who plays your instrument and you will find it's you you know look in the mirror and that's who that person is so um he definitely is uh the boss well i think he defined those parameters early on yes Uh, and they said that that boss employee relationship i don't i don't think he ever let it fester no, no, and, and, and it was always his name on everything, you know, and, that, right. and I think that's a part of it, too, it was, you know, it was all his name. So if things didn't go well, you know, Steve or Clarence could go out and start their own thing and, right. and they weren't ruined by it. If something blew up, it was on him. Yeah. And I do think that, 
you know, he's had a drive. And, you know, I thought it also when the band was um, inducted in the Hall of Fame, he talked about that this was right, that, you know, after some time and, and change that he could have not hold, told his story the same way or with same clarity without the E Street Band. And he mentioned, you know, um, you know, the the different band members and, and, you know, and the different bands that have done that. So. Well, if you watch the induction from a couple of years ago when the when the E Street Band got in, you know, on their own. Um, you could see clearly that he was affected by the fact that it was too late for Clarence and Danny. Yes. And I think he clearly blamed himself and he told the story about how Steve was in his house saying, you know, you got, you can't do this without us. And, and he said, you know, it's not my choice, but I think he realized later on that if he had just said, Hey, I'm not going in, if they're not going in, they would have let him in. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's what's his name run. It doesn't Dave March is like the big driving you know, guy behind the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure Bruce could have gotten what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a very interesting point. And I'm sure, um, you know, that sadness. And and so um, I think it's fascinating. Um, I'm sure you guys read um, just recently, as we're recording this, right, they did the documentary – uh, there for Ashbury Park and the um, club there um, and how they kind of Bruce showed up to sing and play with all these um, local musicians and I, I think that as we say in the south Bruce has never forgotten where he came from and and I think that's one of you know that's a big insult for us to say well he's forgotten where he came from and I don't think Bruce ever has. Well, no, you know, and it, it, it's hard when, when you achieve a level of success like that and, and fame and notoriety like that. But, you know, there, there's always those stories about Bruce, about showing up at a bar, being out riding his motorcycle around the area and stuff. And, you know, people seeing him at a local, you know, biker bar, you know, he goes and sits in with local musicians and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think he does that to keep himself grounded. Um, but I think he, um, it's he enjoys just, it. I, yeah, I think he gets it. I don't I, know how else to say it. Like, I, I totally agree, Chris and Josh. And I also think he, in a lot of ways, um, I had my, um, I had my niece is married to a musician and, um, he, uh, they do uh, the Night Owls. They're a, uh, they're from Austin. They do original kind of um, soul dance music. It's it's a really fun. They do a show band and and you know he sings lead and writes the music and they've got you know three or four horns and it's a really fun band. And I was talking to him about um, the job and he said the 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 two or three hours we're on stage is the easiest part of my job. 
it is the it is the part where I have the less stress, where it is the easiest thing for me to do. That other people may be nervous to be in front of a crowd singing, that is just so easy for me. It's the working out the bathroom schedule and who gets a bed and who has to sleep in the van and how often are we going to stop for the bathroom and who is going to eat and how do we split and what do I okay this this you know horn player can't make this gig so I got to find a replacement. He says all that is my work and my reward is getting on stage and getting to sing. And mm. I think Bruce has that joy. I think I think he loves the kids and I think he loves Patty and I'm I'm sure he had a great time vacationing with um Tom Hanks and uh the Obamas and everything, but I believe he's truly happiest when he's on stage. Oh, without a doubt. I mean you, you can see that come through. I mean that's you know, obviously he talks about all the, the problems he's had with his depression, but I'm talking about that grounding again and that sort of that connection and not forgetting where you came from. I think part of it comes from he still lives where he came from. And he I believe he talked about that in the book, like sometimes he'll be on his bike riding and he'll he'll make it back over to Freehold and to Asbury and go down those streets again, you know, without even really thinking about it. Yeah. Um and I think we all do that. Uh, you know, you, you'll find yourself driving somewhere and you make a turn and you're like, why did I make the turn here? Oh, this is where that girl I dated in high school lived or whatever, something like that. Um, and I, he still has those experiences because he's right there where he came from. So, Josh, Chris, how far away are you guys from where you grew up? <laughs> I'm in the Chris house. Chris, about three feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about ten minutes. Wow. It, Chris is just down the hall. Yeah, I'm just in a different room. Uh, but wow. so I'm, I'm, in that, I'm in that town, and I find myself doing it all the time, driving around like that. But, um, but also in other places, um, just in, our, in this general area, in this county that we, that we grew up in. Josh is, like you said, 10 minutes down the road, just a couple towns away. You know, on a side note, one of the strangest things when I graduated high school in 77, my wife and I met in 80, we got married in 84, and we moved to Dallas in 86. And one of the things that was the most strange for us is not running into someone you know when you're out for dinner or doing something in Dallas. Because, you know, I, my wife grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That's the only town she lived in. She does have friends from the first grade, um, you know, and, um, and I, you know, still have friends from high school. And we would run into people all the time. We had dinner and, and see someone. You know, in Dallas, it is so rare you run yeah. into someone you know because it's such a big city. Did you guys did you guys live in Louisiana to, before you moved to Dallas? Yeah, we did. Um, when my when my dad graduated, when my dad retired from the military and my parents divorced, um, we moved back to Lake Charles, Louisiana. So I, um, I seventy two seventy three is uh, we moved. I moved to Lake Charles, uh, per, Moss Bluff, a little suburb of Lake Charles, Louisiana. Went to all four years at Sam Houston High School, um, and you know, like I said, we we lived there until 
uh, we moved to Dallas in 86. My parent, my mom, still lives in the house that they bought when I was a senior at high school, her and my stepdad. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I blew about $500 in Lake Charles one night in a casino. Uh, okay, very nice. <laughs> was it, Chris, your dad was stationed in Texas, wasn't he? Oh, well, he, he did basic at Fort Polk in Louisiana. Yes. Okay. And and then he was at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio because he did medical training. Yeah. Um, Fort, yeah. Fort Polk is where my dad was stationed when my mom and him met. Okay, my, yeah. My, yeah. In fact, um, one of my earliest memories is my grandmother was a manager of a PX, uh, post exchange okay. for those of yeah. you who aren't familiar it was basically a military target on base and yeah. she would take me to work when i was five or six and um, would let me go to the comic rack take every comic i want and i would bring them to her she would rip the cover off so she would get credit for the comics <laughs> and then give me the comics and I would go and read comics all day and then just kind of that's it was a joy to go see, you know, work with grandma. And so um Fort Polk has a lot of great memories and um yeah, um and it's not a very nice military base at all. <laughs> um but you were talking about that going out to dinner and seeing people you know, again, Josh and I grew up Right here in this same, we consider that this county, Bergen County, the county right. you live in, sort of the extended area. I actually lived in uh, Kentucky and South Carolina for about eleven years combined um, as an adult. What part of Kentucky? Back, uh, Lexington. Okay. And um, and then I moved back to New Jersey, and I remember when I was a kid, I would say to my dad because my dad grew up three towns away from here and has basically been here his whole life, and. We would go somewhere. We'd go anywhere. We'd go to the store, go to a game, and he'd know 50 people. And I'm like, how do you know everybody? Like, how is that possible? And I find myself doing the same thing now. Yes. With, with, I coach uh, basketball, high school basketball, and we'll walk into a gym with my team, and I'll start talking to somebody there, and they're like, how do you know that guy? I'm like, guys, I've lived here most of my life. Like, you're going to know a person, too, when you, you know, 30 years from now. Yeah. But yeah um. So, yeah. I, I. You know. And there. I miss that sometimes. Um. That closeness in that small town feel. Um. You know. Two of our. My oldest friends. Um. Tony and Sandra. Um. Tony graduated the year with me, and Sandra graduated the year after. And they had been friends, you know, they had dated for a couple of years in high school and they're still together. Um, and, and we were both in each other's wedding and it was nothing, you know, for Tony and Sander just to show up at our door and knock and like, hey, we didn't have anything to do. What are you guys doing? You know, do you want to rent a movie? You want to do something? And um, when we see them, which is only about once every year or so, all the old, I mean, it falls away, and it's like we had just seen each other the night before. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so back to Bruce a little bit. Um, Chris, what's your first, what, do you, what was your first show? What was your first live show seeing Bruce? My, my first live show was in 2002. Um, the Rising guess, Tour? Yeah, the Rising Tour. 
He had just come out with the album. It was very early on in the tour, and I was living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time, and we had just built a brand new arena, and he was the very first thing in the arena. Wow. Um, and it was like mid-November, and he was the he was the he was like the grand opening of the arena. Um, we had had an exhibition basketball game there two nights earlier, but that didn't really count. Springsteen was sort of the you know the grand opening of this place, and um, and it was really neat. Even though it was mid-November, they're doing the encore, and I was sitting there with a female companion, and I said, "Oh man." I said, um, I said, if it was a couple weeks later, we might hear Santa Claus is coming to town. And lo and behold, they started tossing out the Christmas hats, and they played Santa Claus is coming to town. And it was like November, like, 14th. But Very nice. They did, I, yeah, I guess they just were like, what, what the heck, we'll do it early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, is there any specific reason why you had not seen them on earlier tours? Just circumstances, or? Well, again, really, I didn't. I didn't really get into them sort of, well, I mean, I was born in 77, um, so. The year I graduated from high school, not that I, makes me feel old. (laughs) But if you think about it, most of the 90s, he didn't, the times that I would go to the concerts when I was in high school and college, he didn't really, he didn't perform that much. Yeah. And remind me, Josh, when was your first uh, show? My first show was July 15th. 2003 with Chris at the Meadowlands at Giant Stadium. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was the first night of the 10 nights at Giant Stadium. It was two weeks before I took the bar exam. Wow. And, um, yeah, and it was Jesse, great. Where, where, you're, where you're sitting in Dallas right now is closer yeah. than we were to the stage that night. <laughs> <laughs> so. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> So how many times have you each seen him? And then how many of that, what's the subset of you guys seeing him together? Josh, what are you at? You're at 30-something, right? Yeah, I'm clo- I'm, I'm rough yeah, between 35 and, you know, in like mid-30s probably. Okay. Uh, I'm, I think, 15 or 16. I did that, I did that site you told me about, Josh, where you yeah. can see the Oh, songs. yeah. That's a wonderful um, site. Yeah, that is a really neat site. I got to, yeah. Um, I think it's Chris 15 is a, Chris or is a stats nerd, so Chris could yeah. sit there and go through all the stats. <laughs> for hours um, how many together? God. All right, well, there was that one, and then we went on a trip. In well, no, two- we also did, we did another giant stadium one on my birthday. When? Like it was July twenty second or twenty third. I thought we did. Oh, all right. I think that was that like summer. 08. I think I think we did. Oh, was that oh eight? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that summer? Is that I summer? I thought we did two. Mm-mm. I did three of the ten, but the other two I went with Jen. It was the last two nights. You were already back down. We went to one at Giant Stadium with Pete and Jen, and we went one to one with Shannon and Jen. Yeah, the one we went now. So Shannon and, and Chris are the godparents of Jen and I, our our oldest child. The four okay. of us went to that first concert. Okay. One Pete was my college roommate, and Chris knows really well. We went and saw that was that was like oh eight oh nine. Okay. That was I think right. working on the dream or magic. Right. Um, and we sat. That was we actually had decent seats for that. Yeah. One. Yes, uh-huh. we did. I mean, Jen might not come to that. I think it might have just me and you and Pete. No, she didn't. And that was the old stadium still. So I think that was 08. Right. Okay. And 
Um, and then we went to, we went on a trip for our 35th birthday to Atlanta for the opening night of the wrecking ball tour for wreck Atlanta and then Greensboro. Nice. And, and this past summer we saw him in, uh, at giant stadium the night after I saw you, Jesse. So okay. I think August 30th, wherever that last night was where he, he came out and he played two hours straight of songs that were from that were older than Chris and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought we kept looking terrific. at each other like he hasn't touched anything from beyond the river yet. There, there were like, a lot of people in the crowd that were like antsy and that he wasn't playing and I was loving it. I mean he was playing like he played hard to be a saint in the city and you know yeah. you're just like oh my god this is great stuff. Um we saw no we were we had two together but we didn't meet up for the one Josh. Right right yeah the other ones and Jesse was there that night on the yeah. 25th. Oh, okay. So, um, so I would say we've probably been to eight or nine together. Okay. Um, did either, did, did you guys make the first leg of the river tour where he was doing the river all in a row? No, I, I went myself to Brooklyn one night. Okay. Um, I went the night after Prince died when he opened with purple rain. Oh, wow. That's nice. Which was, he opened and, and there's purple swirling all around the arena and I was one of the first people in my section, and I was like, and then they started playing. I said, oh, shit, he's playing Purple Rain. Like, that's incredible. And even more incredible is someone in front of me. So we're in an arena. We're in an enclosed arena. The, the uh, yeah. what's the name? The Barclays Center. Barclays. And he played the river straight through, and there was a person in front of me that fell asleep during the concert. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know if he was deaf. I don't know how you could fall asleep. And I, I got no idea. Maybe <laughs> maybe too many beers. No, no. The person was not interested. They were with a group of people that were wow. into it. And he was not interested whatsoever. So, and Josh, did you see any of the, with the. Yeah, I saw him. Um, I saw it three times. I saw him at okay. the garden. Uh, the two chose the garden. And I saw him in. Um, did you see him in Newark? In Newark, yeah, with my dad. Okay. Which okay. was interesting because my dad, you know, my dad doesn't hear so well. And right. he's not, you know. <laughs> That's the understatement of the century. <laughs> so my dad, you know, and he's not a huge Bruce fan. I mean, my dad loves music and his his wife <laughs> is a big Stones fan. So when the Stones, my dad lives in Chicago. So when the Stones come to Chicago, they go see the Stones. And that's all I hear about how great the Stones are, this and that. So he was here visiting and I said, you know you want to go if we can get tickets, you know, I was basically saying, I want to go, you know, and he's an excuse for me to go. And, uh, you know, so that's what we did. And he was floored by it. I mean, genuinely floored. He's like, he, he just looked at me like halfway through and he goes, he doesn't stop. I'm like, no, he doesn't. I'm like, was it different than you expected? He's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what happens with the stones? He's like, the stones play an hour and a half. And Mick disappears for 15 minutes at a time to go change costumes. And, like, someone else will just come out and, you know, play, like, a solo. Or Keith will just stand in the middle of the stage and play. Like, he was not ready for what it was. And he didn't know a lot of the songs. But, I mean, to this day, he still talks about how, how much fun he had. So well, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. So one of the things that when Chris went with me to – Chris is my son – went with me to Oklahoma City. And then he was there that night we met. Uh, Josh and right. he in Oklahoma City afterwards were driving home and he said you know you gotta be ready because there's yeah. no banter between songs 
you know, there's no tuning the guitar. Um, I mean, he's, you know, like Chris, he says, Bruce finishes one song, um, throws the guitar, and he believes that the guy who catches the guitar, Kevin, right, should be, he says, the Cowboys should sign this guy to be a receiver (laughs) because we wish our receivers could catch as well as this guy. Um, It's always about the Cowboys, my son. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, you know, it's just one after another. Uh, you know, he says, yeah. you you got to be ready or else you're going to be left behind. Um, the night, the night, I guess the night you met Jesse, yeah. Josh, yeah. was the night we were supposed to meet up and I wound up. Right. And we were on and the floor. I, I was on the floor too, Jesse, that night. Yeah. And the last 15 minutes of the show, I was leaning up against a guardrail. Yeah. Because I was exhausted. Right. Yeah. And I'm 30 years his junior and I wasn't jumping around. I was just standing. <laughs> that that and was. I had to lean against the yeah. railing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been yeah. in the pit before. In the pit, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like you just get, a, you're exhausted by the time you're done. And you know, you sit there, and you, you know, you're you know, just standing on your feet waiting for him to come out. By the time he comes out, you're done. Yeah. So I can't even imagine, you know, how he does it. I agree. I'm and, never going to run a marathon in my life, but I assume that's sort of what it feels like. <laughs> absolutely. You know, yeah. one of the things that. Um, I've shared with that um, 25th show there at the Met, you know, Life uh, Stadium, is it was the first Bruce show where I I was sated. You know, I, I've gone, you know, I've gone to not as many as Josh, probably close to you, Chris, I think. And each time I've like, oh, I wish he'd do one more. Oh, I wish he'd do one more. And at the end of that four hours, with the couple getting engaged and the fireworks, I was, I'm done. This is, this, this was, this was a great night. Um, you know, a lot of highlights and I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm good. You know, I I think that's an interesting thing you tap into is disappointed is not the right word because there's no way you go to a Bruce show and are ever disappointed. Right. But there is like a feeling you're like, oh, just two more. Yeah, come on. Do another one. Right. And you're not upset at the end of the concert because you've gotten every dime's worth that you spent. Yeah. But there is sort of an anticipation. You're like, but he could do two more. He could, you know, he could do whatever. He could do Ramrod or he could do. He could do anything. He could do. He could do Johnny Bye Bye from Tracks. Yeah. I wouldn't care. I... Well, <laughs> you know when I uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, I, I went to Louisville. That's what my Christmas gift. Linda bought me a ticket to Louisville, and you know they had done Shout and he had done um, Thunder Road and the band was over and I actually saw because I was on the side of the stage. And Max handed his drumsticks to someone, and all of a sudden, Bruce picked up a guitar. And you could tell the band was like, what? And they did Bobby Jean. <laughs> and it felt like a whole nother show, because you knew right. it was over. Right, Chris, Josh? It's over. You know, everything. Yep. Christmas, Hanukkah's over. The gifts have all been given. And it isn't like you found a gift on Christmas you know, afternoon, it's like the day after Christmas when you're taking down the tree, you go, oh, look, <laughs> here's a gift. Present. Yes. And and it felt so cool. But yes, that is, um, you know, you also go, 
Oh, you did three hours and 30 minutes, you know, three hours, 20, <sighs> you know, and, and yeah, you're right. It's not disappointment. It's just this, this, and I will use the word for me. It's this greed. It's just, I, I want more. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's sort of, yeah. It's a yeah. poor man want to be rich, rich man want to yeah. be king and the king. I want to hear him do every song. Uh, you I know what it too. is though. It's, it's really like an addiction and, and, and it's, it's a feeling you get when you're there. And Jesse, you and I talked about this last yeah. time that you're really part of a congregation. Yes. And you realize the service is coming to an end. And there's no, you can't get that same service. You can't go, you know, show up for mass tomorrow at 12 and feel the same way. Right. And who knows, especially now, you know, as old as they are, who knows when that's ever going to happen again. So I think there's sort of like a, like a rueful kind of regretful kind of feeling that, you know, that's it. And, you know, who knows when we'll cross this way again. And yeah. it's just, you know. I think that's perfectly said, Josh. You know, I, I just talked about this on, um, I do a Game of Thrones podcast and we kind of did a, you know, post, you know, kind of what have we been doing while we're waiting for the show to come back. And one of the things I mentioned is I have a little bit of sadness knowing that, the series is coming to an end the same way when I'm reading a really good book and I reach the last third, I kind of like, man, I I'm loving this book so much. I don't want it to end. I want to know the ending, but I'm sad to be leaving that world. And, and I think that's perfectly said, Josh, that you, you've just spent three to four hours with people, you know, 85 to 95% that love this man, love his music you have been involved in this world, and and it's and it's over, and it's just a little sad because I want another, I, I want another shot, I, I want another hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, yes. I, I don't. I, Josh had asked you to talk about something beforehand, and I don't know if yeah. you're going to get to it about. No, please. Using. Bruce's music in the classroom. No, this is a perfect time. Please share, Chris. Okay. Um, Since we are hitting I, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I teach in, in more of an urban uh, urban school district. I teach at, a, at actually an all-girls Catholic school. Um, and um, But in my classroom, I use Bruce's music to add to lessons or to highlight lessons. And then I also sort of started a Bruce Springsteen club this year, which hasn't gone as well as I thought, but it started off pretty, uh, pretty well at the beginning of the year. Um, but it, literally today we were talking about the great depression and talking about, uh, the grapes of wrath. And we were reading excerpts from it and looking at photographs. And then we, um, you made those poor kids read that book. No, no, we just read a couple of excerpts. Jeez, I wouldn't make All anyone right. read the whole book. Okay. Um, just, a good, just a couple of excerpts. And then we played and we looked at pictures of migrant farmers from modern day and we played uh, Ghost of Tom Joad and right. talked about, you know, I mean, so literally I used Bruce Springsteen in the classroom today. Um, a couple other times that I've used it in the past and, and try to use it in lessons is on Veterans Day. I always do a Veterans Day lesson and... Um, we listen to the wall, obviously. Yes. Um, we talk about the Vietnam uh, War and the, the Veterans Wall. I use the rising on 9-11. Um, I use American land when we talk about immigration in the 1800s. We watch some clips from, um, what's the movie, Gangs of New York. Right. And mm -hmm. we do a whole stuff. And then we analyze 
American Land, the song, but then we also analyzed the poem, which was um, the the impetus for him writing the song. I don't know if you've ever read the poem. No, I haven't. I will have to check that out. Yeah, there's a poem by a by like a Czechoslovakian guy who was came over here and he wrote this poem. It's basically just a shorter version, and Bruce expanded on it in American Land. Um, so those are all ones. Oh, and I've used them. Um, shut out the light before talking about again the vietnam war sure and you know the veterans coming back and obviously that's basically you know sort of a the story of ron kovacs you know who we had met right. everything um so those are just some of the ones that i've used in class and then in um in the club we've listened to and we've analyzed 10th avenue freeze out jungle land lost in the flood blinded by the light thunder road just to name a couple that we've gone over so I don't know. I'll do my plug. Um, you know, Jay and I uh, did an episode where he is a um, English teacher. He does uh, honors English, and he does a class of Thunder Road using it as a poem and comparing it to uh, the Road Not Taken. Okay. And, and so, um, and so I'll ask you the question. He ends the episode with. And he asked his student, does Mary get in the car? Ah, see, Josh, now I got, I caught you. You stole it from somewhere. <laughs> Josh asked me that question. We were talking about this song a couple months ago, and he asked me that question. So he obviously must have listened to that podcast. Um, I listen to every, all of Jesse's <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> I, you know, that's a great question. In my mind, she does get in the car, but I'm an optimist. Uh, that is what I said, too. I, I, I said, um, I also... Chris, if you get a chance, and you don't have to listen to too many, but, you know, recently, a, a couple months ago, a columnist wrote Mary's Side of Thunder Road. You know, it was... It, yeah, it, yeah, Josh sent me that, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, it was really interesting. It, yeah, was. it was. Well, a good friend of mine read that column, and then I mixed it with actual Thunder Road and kind of blended it. So you hear oh, okay. Mary, you know, uh, Karen did a great job of, you know are you high and then you know and then so it's pretty good um that is sounds wonderful what kind of reaction do your class does the class get to the music uh, there, i mean there's a section of kids who roll their eyes not bruce springsteen again and, yeah you know a couple of kids their parents have listened to it and stuff um with some of the kids in the club they've gotten really into you know really analyzing the music and we talk about the the pictures that he paints and yes and and, and and what I what I tell them is use it for all the music you listen to. Right. Well, the first thing I did was we took Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, and I just played the opening music to it. Yes. And I said, okay, tell me what the song, what emotions are going to be in this song from just the music you heard, from the notes you heard, the instruments you heard. Is it going to be happy, sad, regretful, mournful, uh, downtrodden, whatever? Use as many adjectives as you can. You know, and I think you can hear that. It was George Carlin, who's, I'm, I also do stand-up comedy. I'm a man of many talents, Jeff. Yes, you are. I can tell. <laughs> I'll brag. George Carlin, who's my absolute hero in life and in comedy. Yes. Um, he was talking about the blues, but I think it's true in any music. He said, it's not important just to know what note to play. It's important to know why that note needs to be played. Yes. And I mean, I know zero about music, except I like listening to it. Yeah. But I think that's so true. 
and right. I think a lot in, in so much of Bruce's music, like just the songs that I talked about, we analyzed. You hear the opening to Lost in the Flood. If you know nothing about the song, if you never hear one lyric in that song, you hear that opening, you know what this what emotions the song is going to evoke. You know, Chris, I, th- I think I shared this with Josh, but um, I know I've shared it earlier on earlier episodes. You know, my wife had a real problem with Bruce's um, enunciation. I can't understand what he's saying. He just grunts. And when we were going up to see him in Cleveland for the Wrecking Ball tour, this is kind of our Bourbon and Bruce tour. With Kid, with kid Leo? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the reference. Oh, Kid Leo was an old DJ back in the 70s. Ah, that was okay. Early, he talks about it in the book. He was one of the early proponents oh, of his okay. music. And oh. whenever he went to Cleveland, Kid Leo would be the guy who would introduce his concerts. Ah, okay. No, this was at the Wrecking Ball tour, and um, and and I said, what I want you to do is pretend it's instrumentals, that his voice is just another instrument, mm-hmm. and just listen to the emotion of the song. Doesn't matter if you understand the lyrics at all, and and that helped her a lot. And then, you know. Thank goodness for Mr. Google. You know she would Google, you know, Google lyrics and read them. And mm-hmm. and Wrecking Ball is one of her favorite Bruce albums. She just thinks it's it spoke to her and she really liked it. So I, I think that's interesting. You know the other theory I give a lot. Um, I've managed call centers for 20, 30 years, and I always tell my morale committee. Um, I said no matter what you do to plan an event. Um, for the team, a third of the people like it, a third of the people hate it, and a third of the people just won't care. Um, right. I said, so the idea is you have to come up with enough different things that that thirds <laughs> rotate, you know? Right. And so I think that you could almost do that for any, you know, teaching, right? That, uh, you know, yeah. part of the class is going to think it's cool, part of the class won't care, and a part of the class is going to hate it. So, but I think that's an interesting way to think, and it's a cool thing you're doing. Yeah, and and even with, to go back, the first one we looked at was 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Yes. And I didn't tell them anything about the band. They just knew that I liked Bruce Springsteen. And most of them had at least heard of Bruce Springsteen, had a, you right. know, that he was a rock and roll singer. And, you know, that opening verse, I said, tell me what he's, just tell me what he's saying in that opening verse in your own words. Well, there's some sadness, teardrops on the city, you know. Yeah. Um, somebody, bad scooter, whoever that is, he's he's searching for something. He's looking for something. He can't find he can't find his way in the world, you know. And and you can't find no room to move. He feels stuck. He feels trapped. And I'm like, you know nothing about Bruce Springsteen, and you've nailed the song right there. Like, right. You know, if you just take the time, it's it's like kids. And I'm sure your friend is the English teacher. Kids who have trouble reading Shakespeare, it's it's just proper English Shakespeare. If you just take your time and read the line and say, "What is he saying in this line?" Then Shakespeare is not that hard to read. Yes, but kids look at it as they look at the whole paragraph as one intimidating thing. Right. No, just look at the one line. Yeah, and I think that's a great and you know, I I, I love that and. 
Chris, we may have to have you on again, and we will do that. We'll play some introductions of songs and kind of just stop before they go and talk about the emotions, because I think that's a fascinating thought of um and and i it'll give me a different way to listen to music thank you i appreciate that (laughs) um so um anything we need to do before we wrap up any other final comments you guys want to share uh chris i'll give you a chance um bruce is touring again do you have a wish list of a couple songs you hope to hear him perform live oh god um jeez i didn't know i was gonna be put on the spot like that Oh, that's okay. Uh, um, um, I've got to have some. Um, the the rising is just just a great live song. It's just a great rock and roll song. Yeah. Um, I always have to hear the rising. Um, Little note, I have. He has never. I've never gone to a show where he didn't play the rising. Okay. I was. I thought you were going to say you never heard them. I was like, wait a minute. How did that yeah, happen? No, I've. Um, no, I have never, he has been, every show I've gone through since 2002, uh, he has played The Rising. And then my favorite of all Bruce Springsteen songs is Growing Up. So mm-hmm. anytime I get to hear that okay. at the concert, which I've heard a couple of times. Definitely now, not all the time, but... Um, is there anything but, uh, you haven't heard that you wish you could, though? Um, well, he played a bunch of that stuff. I would say... Um, well, I like the tracks version of Stolen Car better than the, the River album version. Okay. Um, it's a little bit different. I like it a little better. I like a couple of lyrics better. And and Shut Out the Light, which is a song I know he never play in person or yeah. live. But, okay. But that would be amazing to hear that song. All right. And Josh, just I know you've said before, but anything um, since the last time we talked that you would be chasing? Josh, are you there? Have we lost Josh? He's going to say Darkness on the Edge of Town and Racing in the Street. Okay. All right. Very nice. (laughs) Jim Uh, and I do different. Racing in the Street is one of my least favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. It never spoke to me. Oh, how funny. Yeah. (laughs) You know what what is one to me, and this is heresy, Jungle Land. Okay. I I, I mean, there there, are... I understand the epicness of it, but as my friend Sam says, you are not a fan of his earlier work with these long stories. You are about the emotion and, you know, just telling. So um, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yes, I think we did lose Josh, so that's okay. Um, I will pull Josh's Twitter handle. Do you have a – are you on social media? Do you have a Twitter handle you want to share? No, I'm not. I don't. Uh, You're not. A okay. I to stay off that. That nonsense. is that is a wise <laughs> thing to do. Um, Chris, thank you. This was wonderful. I appreciate it thank so you much. For me. Yeah. And um, if you want to have another time, absolutely. We will. We will make this happen again. Um, and so, if you want to be on Set Lusting Bruce and and be on the podcast and talk about Bruce and all the replies, send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page. You can check that out. We are also on Twitter at setlustingbruce. And if you could go to iTunes to rate and review the podcast and subscribe, it really is a great way to support the podcast. Chris, we're going to end with, Now you hung with me when all the others 
turned away, turned up their nose. We like the same music. We like the same bands. We like the same clothes. We told each other that we were the wildest, the wildest things we'd ever seen. Now, I wish you would have told me. I wish you could have talked to you just to say goodbye, Bobby Jean. little honor of your Thank friendship. You. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we'll you. talk to you soon. Jesse, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you asked Josh and I if we were ready to talk. Apparently, you've never been in a room with <laughs> <laughs> That is, I'm kind of irritated that we're starting the Cowboy Giants starting the season again. Now, how do you feel about that, Chris? Um, anytime the Cowboys play the Giants, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, they try to start the season. I mean, I understand why they try to do it. Yeah. To... to obviously hype up the rivalry and, yeah. and get the season started off. Well, Eli just owns the Death Star. I mean, he just, <laughs> I mean, he just like, if he ever he wanted won to be... First, he won the first game there. Yes, he did. Monday yes, yeah. he did. And uh, spoiled that. Um, yeah, he just plays really well at Jerry World. And so... Um, it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.